But now, on this Mother's Day, we want to uh, dive in together, and I will begin reading in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and after I read that, I'll pray, and we can then spend some time studying the Word together. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, reads as follows. I am reminded of your sincere faith. It's Paul specifically speaking to Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Let's pray. Father, I ask that in this time that we have together, that you would do a great work, a great work of granting sincere faith. A faith that is proven as genuine. A faith that is built not upon our strength, but upon yours. And a faith that looks forward rather than backwards. And so, Father, we ask that in these moments, for men and women alike, but especially for women, and even more acutely for moms, we pray, God, that you would do a great work of producing generation after generation of women who have sincere faith that is spread to their children for generations to come. We ask this in Jesus' glorious name. Amen. Amen. It is a happy day. It's Mother's Day. It's something to celebrate. And it is at minimum something to celebrate because despite all difficulties, despite all personal baggage, um, there is a celebration in general of life that God can create and give life upon which that's the reason you're here, right? Okay. So in part, we want to just thank God for life. And as I was Meditating on how we can honor uh, women and especially moms, I was just thinking if I were, I just am praying that God would allow this sermon to be almost like a gift, that it would be a gift. If I were seeking to give a gift to my mom or seeking to give a gift to my wife, um, I would want this sermon to be a gift a present, so to speak, that might be even better than the muffins that are out there for you, um, but a gift. A gift that helps you feel secure and sure-footed in God's love. A gift that helps you to know how special you are as a child of God. And a gift that helps you go af hard after Him, looking forward in faith to your future reward. So the prayer for this time is that God, by His Holy Spirit, through His Word, would do this work of giving a gift today to each one of us, but especially as we seek to honor moms. In 1778, U.S. forces were fighting against British forces for their independence. The battle seemed to be pretty dismal. It did not seem that our troops were going to be able to overcome 
all of the strength of the British forces. But through a lot of political maneuvering, especially by Benjamin Franklin, in 1778, the French showed up. And it was with the reinforcements of the French that led to this decisive sense of unity, began to display to Britain that they had no allies, and with France's help, we won what is known as the American Revolution, the Revolutionary War. It's interesting that when the Bible speaks of women, it speaks of women as a necessary reinforcement without which the battle would be lost. That's the literal language that's used in Genesis chapter 2 when it says that the woman was created as a suitable helper. It's not one who is simply just kind of bossed around to do the bidding of the husband. Genesis 2 actually portrays a picture of the inability or insufficiency of, human, of man to be able to fulfill God's designs without her reinforcements, so to speak. Women have a high place in fulfilling what God has required of humanity. Man alone is insufficient. And so humanity is created male and female. When you look through the Bible, there's something that's shocking, even in uh, cultural standards back when uh, scriptures were coming to God's people. It's the importance of women in the church. The importance of women in God's people. If you look at Ruth, you begin to see that it was Ruth who was faithful to stay with Naomi. It was Ruth who had steadfast love, who didn't give up on her mother-in-law and ultimately was a picture of faith. We see that Esther was a woman of great courage. Great courage who was given a specific platform of seeking to deliver the Jews from the oppression of the king, the king who was her husband. And a famous line from Mordecai, her uncle, says, ultimately, I think you were created for such a time as this. And she goes before the king and says, I will go before him, and if I perish, I perish. And it was through her faithfulness to God, through her courage, that the Jews were spared from the wrath of the king. It was Deborah the prophetess who was also made a judge over Israel. And while she was judged, she was used to allow the Israelite people to faithfully follow God and they were delivered from their enemies. When we come to the New Testament, we begin to see many women who were used as pictures of faithfulness. You see the humble dependence of Mary at the feet of Jesus. You see when God chose to reveal that he was alive, he revealed it to women and he entrusted that message to them to give to the followers, to give to his apostles. Phoebe, later on in the church when Paul was addressing the church at Rome, she was commended for her generosity and stewardship. Some even think she was a, an early deacon. 
a leader in the church, nonetheless, by her example. When God wanted Apollos, one of the most formidable preachers of his day, to speak into the Corinthian church, it was not just Aquila, but it was Aquila and Priscilla. It was husband and wife team that were used to kind of train up Apollos as he was readying himself for pastoral ministry. And now we see here in the scriptures two women highlighted. A grandmother and a mother highlighted as ones who poured into their children that produced such sincere faith. Why in the world were all these women honored in the Scriptures? Why were they commended? Why were they set forth as examples? Well, I want to articulate that it was for their beauty. They were set forward for their beauty. Not their physical beauty. They were set forward for a depth of beauty that is meant to be pursued by all. Do you know beauty is in the eye of the beholder? For some of you, I might say red and white. And you might think, go wolf pack. And you might say, that's beautiful. For others who detest red and white, beauty is in Carolina blue, right? No, no, that's right. Because there is much divided allegiance here in our triangle because there is a deep royal blue that happened to just win the men's NCAA tournament. And so some of you might say, if it's not red and white, it's, it's deep blue, right? Is that right for some? Okay, for some, yeah. Then I commend Tennessee orange. <laughs> See, I even get clapped for Tennessee Orange. That's because a proven fact is that Tennessee fans are obnoxious. Like, I would argue all fans, but yeah, I know Tennessee Orange, it's hard for me to convince you that it's beautiful, but it has a sense of beauty to it. Only if you live there or like them. There are some things that might have a little bit more of a sense of uh, beauty, and that is children. We think that kids are... Many times are beautiful, and many times parents think their kids are beautiful, but that's not universally agreed upon, right? <laughs> I mean, some are a lot more convinced that their kids are beautiful than others. And so there's some things that are more universally accepted as beautiful, like the Grand Canyon, the Alps, the beaches, oceans. But even those, people have preferences. Even those, some people say, the mountains are more beautiful than the waves of the sea. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But what the follower of Jesus wants to go hard after is what is beautiful in the sight of God. What is beautiful in his sight? And that is what I want to declare as most beautiful. That is what I want to give my life to and go hard after. That is what is commended in all of these women. That is why these women are set forth because there's a beauty that is deeper than physical appearance. It's a beauty of the heart. When Peter and Paul go to encourage the women of the church in two separate occasions, they encourage them 
to say, don't let your adornment be merely external, but fight for an internal adornment. A beautiful, a beautiful heart. And this is what we see here in 2 Timothy. Look at the passage with me. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Paul says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you. Earlier in Acts when Timothy is brought onto the scene, we find out that it was his mom who was a believer, yet his dad was an unbeliever. His mom was a believing Jew, his dad was an unbelieving Greek. And so she had so much within the home that she had to fight for faith. There was an agreement within the home. And yet, it says later on in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. If you flipped your page, which I had to do in my Bible, it says, And Timothy, how from childhood... You have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. His mom, encouraged by the faith of her mom, brought before Timothy, even in the midst of an unbelieving father in the home, the Word of God. And says, this is what I want my life to be built upon. And this is what I want to give from generation to generation. And this is what Paul commends in Timothy's mom. It is the heart of faith. It is sincere faith. And so, as we go through quickly, I just want to highlight three things that I think every person on the planet is to fight for, but specifically we're going to look at it through the lenses of women and motherhood, is we want to fight for a lasting beauty. And that beauty will be seen in three things. Faith portrayed, that is, what are you living for now? Number two, faith realized, what makes you special? And three, faith forward. Where are you headed? So let's look at it. Faith portrayed. What are you living for now? Faith portrayed. We have in this text the phrase sincere faith. The word for sincere here is where we get the English word hypocrite. It is a hypocrite is one who appears as one thing or tries to appear as one thing but deep and underneath they're a contradiction to what they say that they are and here sincerity is is saying this is a genuine faith not a hypocritical faith it's not a faith that poses itself but in the background is something different this is a sincere true genuine faith 
in Bible times in Rome, there's a story as it is told about how pottery is made. Pottery made back then was very expensive, took a lot of time to make. And so just as it goes, when you kind of try to market any beginning product, it begins to be high in value until there's some knockoffs that come in and try to pose that they have the real true thing. But there were ways that you could tell, these experts, they could tell what was true and wasn't, what wasn't true. You could hold it up to the light and you could see cracks and people began to get wise to that. So those who were the knockoffs, they would even come and they would fill it in with wax and paint it over and begin to even see that they could sell these things at a cheaper price and put them forward as true pottery. But the potters who could really tell the difference, they wanted to distinguish their true, non-hypocritical, genuine pottery from the knockoffs. And story goes, they would write the word sincere on the bottom of the pot to articulate that it was genuine and it was true. This is the kind of faith that is being brought up here of Timothy's grandmother and mother and ultimately Timothy himself. It is a true and sincere faith. So we just want to walk through and ask, how do the scriptures bring to light what true faith is? What a genuine faith is? What is a genuine faith? And there's three things I want to highlight specifically regarding a genuine faith. And the first one we have already seen. The first one we, we saw in chapter 3, verse 15, when from childhood, Timothy has been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So the genuine faith put forward the scriptures before the kids because they knew within the scriptures, there they would be able to see someone. They would be able to see Jesus. That was most crucial to the core of a sincere faith was a faith in Christ Jesus because, biblically speaking, faith united you to Christ. There was a union that happened in genuine faith. You were made one with your Savior. There was an affection that rose in the heart. There was love that leapt out of the soul for Jesus. Jesus was your prize and you wanted to give him away from generation to generation. This is what you see in Timothy's mom. From childhood, she wanted her kid to be acquainted with the sacred writings because they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what the scriptures do. And so a faith portrayed is what are you living for? What is the portrait of sincere faith? What is this picture of sincere faith? And it has to begin with the prizing of Christ Jesus. With declaring him as the greatest treasure. With going after him above all other pursuits. 
I was reading this week in Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon quotes the book of Job. Job chapter 22, verse 21, and it says this. Acquaint thyself with him. I'm quoting how Spurgeon quoted it. And you will find peace. Acquaint yourself with God. And there you will find peace. Some translations in the ESV say, agree with God. It is, get to know him. Endeavor to make him your pursuit. This is where peace comes. This is a portrait of genuine faith. And in that article, Spurgeon says this. Endeavor to know the Father. Bury your head in, the bo- in his bosom, on his chest, in deep repentance. And confess that you are not worthy to be called his son or his child. Receive the kiss of his love. Listen to this imagery. Sit at his table and let your heart make merry in his grace. That is, get happy at how gracious he is towards you. Sit in his table. Then press forward and seek to know how much the Son of God, who is the brightness of his Father's glory and yet unspeakable condescension of grace, became man for our sakes. Glory yet man. Know him in his singular complexity of nature. He's eternal God and yet suffering as finite man. Follow him as he walks the waters in deity. And yet as he sits upon the well in the weariness of humanity. Be not satisfied unless you know how much of Jesus Christ as your friend and your brother and your husband and your all. Sincere faith makes its endeavor To know God. To sit at his table. To know his glories. To pursue the Son as eternal God. As he walks on the water. And yet as man who sympathizes with our weaknesses as he had to sit tired at the well in John 4. Know your Savior. This is what faith, sincere faith is. It prizes Christ and it wants to know him and it can get to know him through the sacred writings through the scriptures but not only is faith portrayed as prizing Christ but faith is portrayed as pleading with him the sincere faith that is portrayed in the scriptures is a pleading faith a praying faith so the picture gets a little more Development in one place where we see how faith prays is with Hannah. Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah is a barren woman. A woman who cannot have children. And she pled and pled with God that that would not be the case. 
she would go and plead so much with God that people would begin to make fun of her. And even the priest, when she came, Eli, when she came to pray, he said this, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord. I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. You see this picture? This woman of faith in the midst of her pain. She knew where to go. She knew the safety of her Savior. And she knew His power. She knew that this wasn't anything she could solve on her own. And there was only one person who could be her deliverer. She knew where to take her pain and her problems. And this woman of faith, over and over, was seen as a woman pouring out her soul before the Lord. Story after story that I hear when when women many times are talked about as faithful examples for either their children or for others who want to follow this woman's example almost without exception when that when some woman is lifted up as an example that they want to follow it's almost every time accompanied as that woman prays that woman knows god she has a relationship with god i remember when we were on a community group a retreat just a couple of weeks ago and one uh, woman in our uh, that was there one of the community group leaders she shared how one thing that she remembered about her mom was that she would peek in and look at her mom and her mom was on her knees in prayer to God this portrait of sincere faith is is the prizing of Jesus but it's also the pouring out your soul to him to know Him, to take your problems to Him, and also for others. What's beautiful is that even though Hannah gets the answer to her prayers, she actually does conceive and gives birth to a child named Samuel. She promised that that child would be for the Lord. And oh, what a word it is today for moms. This is the fight and the battle and yet the declaration of every mom, spiritually speaking. It doesn't work itself out like this in these days, practically where there was a temple and she promised to give Samuel to the work of the temple. But oh, isn't it the battle of every mom to say, this child, is the Lord's and not primarily mine. You hear it in 1 Samuel 1, 27 and 28. Hannah 
after she had weaned the child, she says in verse 27, For this child I prayed, and the Lord granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have given him or lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there in the temple. Oh, what an encouragement to say, this child is the Lord's. Sincere faith was a prizing faith and a praying faith, but the sincere faith was a sincere faith of love in the midst of suffering. Now, we don't necessarily see this in the example of Eunice and Lois, but we do see it as this word sincere is used throughout the scriptures. The word sincere finds itself coming up again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. This very word that's used to describe the faith of Eunice and Lois as a genuine faith is also used to describe the love that comes out of a born-again believer. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the, to the truth for a sincere, there's the word, a genuine, a non-hypocritical brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again. Follow the logic? You've been born again. God is doing a work of purifying in your heart to create a sincere love. And with that sincere love, go love one another. The sincere love is something that God births, but it's something that, as this text says, having purified your souls, it is a fight to have a genuine, authentic love, a concern for someone else that is willing to suffer. For that other person. When you are born again, there is birthed in the soul a love for one another. And yet this text says it's got to be a fight. A fight for the purity of that genuine love. And isn't the fight hard? The fight's difficult. It's difficult to prize Christ above all. It is difficult to go to him in prayer before we go to ourselves to solve issues. It's difficult to love in hard times. But Paul acknowledges this difficulty. And he says the difficulty is because we're fragile. And he actually uses a, an illustration of pottery. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7-10. through 10. It'll be on the screen. But we have this treasure. The treasure of God shining his light into dark hearts. The treasure of Jesus Christ invading the soul. We have this treasure in our hearts in jars of clay. The image is clearly one of fragility. It's an image of we are fragile. Why would something of such radiant glory dwell in such fragility? Someone whose emotions are up and down. Someone who feels strong one minute and really weak the next. 
someone who physically gets tired and weary. Why would his glory dwell in something so fragile? The text tells us clearly to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Mothers, your hope is not your ability to prize or to pray or to love. Your hope is God's promise to dwell inside of your heart by faith, even the faith of a mustard seed, and he will show off his power through you. Your hope is his work in your heart, and he promises that it is his aim to cultivate in your fragile soul a soul that prizes and prays and loves in a genuine way. And so, yes, do you feel tired? Do you feel like you don't have any more strength to give? Do you feel fragile? That's exactly where you're supposed to be. If you feel omnicompetent in and of yourself, you are pushing Christ away from his rightful central place in your heart. Yes, be confident, but be confident that he is at work in you and therefore he'll give you everything you need. This is the picture of sincere faith, a faith that is portrayed as one that prizes Christ and prays and is willing even to suffer. Because if you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. That is the paradox of the Christian life. That is the the difficulty of love. You feel mistreated. You feel misunderstood. You don't feel appreciated. Neither did our Savior. Many times, this is what it means to walk around and share in the sufferings of Christ so that as you live that sacrificial life of love, you can actually show off his resurrection life and power. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Forsaken, not struck down, because Christ is alive in the heart. And now these last two are really quick. But if that is what the portrait is in the human heart, the portrait of sincere faith, this is genuine beauty. How do we realize that faith? How do we live in it? And ultimately, I think it's seen with the example of the woman in Luke 7. In Luke chapter 7, we begin to see What makes someone special? What makes someone live as a child of the king? And I just want to read you this passage. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 says this. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. 
How would you like to carry that label around? When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she's a sinner. You get the picture? She's not just a sinner in general like all of us are sinners. She was known as a woman of ill repute. People knew her sketchy past. If he were a prophet, Jesus would have known that. And Jesus, knowing what was going on in the Pharisee's head, says this in verse 40. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, well, say it, teacher. Let me tell you a story. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he actually canceled the debt of both. Now, which one of them, Simon, will love him more? Simon answered, no brainer. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he says, bingo. You judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? You see what he's doing? He says, I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which I know now, which I know are many. It's like, you're not telling me something I don't already know. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Because she has loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. You're set free. The guilt's been paid. The debt's been canceled. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who can even forgive sins? And he said to the woman, just in case they might think, well, because she did good deeds, now she can be forgiven. He says, no, your faith has saved you. Now go in peace. What does it look like to not just know what you're supposed to live for, but to actually live in it in the here and now? What does it look like to realize that you are a child of the king and this woman is a picture it is brokenness. It is an acknowledgement of sin. It is an understanding that Jesus is the only one who can wipe away the guilt and the shame. She was prizing the Savior in this moment. And Christ honored it. 
and said, you are fully forgiven. Your sins, which are many, I'm not just forgiven a few, your sins, which are many, you are forgiven. Some of you, women, are not living, realizing that you are a child, that you are forgiven. Many of you are either living in guilt or you're afraid of being thought poorly of. And this picture right here takes a humble woman in tears and says, no matter the outside clamor of what people think about you, there's one opinion to value. And it's a Savior who loves it when you get low. It's a Savior who loves you in the midst of your sin. And He knew He was headed to the cross for that sin so that faith alone can render you forgiven. Some of you moms take way too much blame for the sins of your spouse or the sins of your kids. And some of you moms take way too much credit for the victories of your spouse or the victories of your kids or your own. This passage puts us both as guilty and yet loved. This is what it means to live. To live in a realized faith. I'm a child. Guilty. Everything is a gift, but I am loved, forgiven, set free, not characterized by my past. And so, a faith that is sincere, understands what it's living for now, lives in it as a fully forgiven child, and that faith is now freeing you to look forward and not backwards. To look forward and not backwards. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 I had to end in Philippians because that's where we're going to be when we jump back into the book next week. But it says this. Philippians 3, 17. It's actually verse 13, sorry, not 17. Brothers, I do not consider that I made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Faith that is freed is a faith that looks forward. You will be crushed by looking backwards at how you've messed up. You will be overwhelmed by looking side to side at your circumstances. You'll be given clarity as you look forward to what we, you were created for. Your king. To know him. Heaven is your home. Distraction to the left and to the right. Guilt and shame behind you and regret. A forward-facing faith is a free faith. You're set free. You're not characterized by those things and these things will not overwhelm you because God is with you. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India. At age 13, she was saved. At age 18, her father died. And her family ended up moving to Belfast. She was from Northern Ireland. 
when she was in Belfast, she saw the slums around her at age 18 and how the women and the girls were treated there. And she began to give her life to bettering the work conditions and to bettering ultimately the faith of these women. The ministry began to grow and to flourish and God began to provide an amazing way so that she did this not only in Belfast but also in Manchester in another city. But God struck her heart and led her to go to Japan where she was going to serve as a missionary there. But Japan didn't work out so well. The language was hard and the missionaries who were already there, there was not unity, there was disunity and something that was just really hard for her so much so that she ended up coming back home to deal with someone really dear to her who was sick. But then, at age 28, she felt led to go to India. And when she arrived in India, she got sick with the dengue fever. And as she was there, she wasn't sure whether she was going to live. God began to bring her out of that. And she'll never forget this moment in 1901 when a little child comes up to her. And as the child comes up to her, tells her about how she has been recruited as one who is going to serve in the temple, in temple prostitution. And began to tell this story to Amy Carmichael. And it was so heavy. She said, I never dreamed that all this was happening. And over her life, she began to make it her aim to see these girls delivered, rescued from the life in the temple. You can imagine the priest didn't like it too much. She was taken to court a ton. But thousands of girls were spared. But you know something? You would think the story would go. And this happened all of her life, and she died helping thousands. But Amy Carmichael had a fall. A fall that left her almost an invalid to where she couldn't do what she was doing anymore. Can you imagine that moment? You imagine that moment? You look left and right, you look at the circumstances. This is too much. And instead, by God's grace, she chose to look forward. She wrote over 38 books while she had been on her deathbed. And here's a couple of things, a couple of quotes that I think are appropriate to help us with here. One is she describes joy. A faith that looks forward is a joy-filled faith. She says, joy is not a gush. Joy is not mere jolliness. Joy is perfect acquiescence. That is, acceptance and rest in God's will, whatever comes. That's joy. That God, I trust you, whatever comes. And so she wrote this in one of her books. And this is a picture of sincere faith. This is a picture of true beauty. This is a picture of the depth of beauty that is commended throughout the scriptures as women are commended and as also as faith is held up for all. She says, give me the love that leads the way. 
You see L capitalized? That's because she's saying, give me God. Give me the love that leads the way. The faith that nothing can dismay. The hope no disappointments tire. The passion that'll burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel flame of God. May God use you, women. May God use you as you set your gaze forward. May God use you to be His flame in the lives of your children, in the lives of this church, in the lives of this city, and to the ends of the earth. May we all want to be in the hands of God. Fuel for His flame. Let's pray. Father, I love you and I thank you for your word. And I just ask, I ask that you would create a sincere faith in the hearts of your people. I ask that that faith would prize you and that we would be a pleading people and that we would be a people who fall on our face longing for you that we suffer to love. That, Father, we would also live as those who are fully forgiven. Forgiven because you've done so much, Lord. I ask that we would live freed up and then freed to look forward. Even when circumstances are really hard, when children are not obeying, when finances are really tight, when there's disunity in the home, I ask, oh God, that you would, you would strengthen your people to set our gaze upon knowing Christ and prizing him above all. He is worthy. He is sufficient. He is beautiful and he is our treasure. And so, God, I ask that as we take this Lord's Supper together, that you would work in our hearts the declaration that we want you above all other wants. Please make you our treasure. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.